and it's been through the ping ponging of back and forth being in different relationships that I've now seen. It's more important that I remain who I am and connected to my identity than it is for me to adjust my needs for the needs of this person right now, because that's not consistency is one of my core values. And to do that all the time is not consistent and in direct conflict with one of my values, which is a core part of my identity. So if I identify as someone who's consistent, yet I'm consistently changing for people rather than maintaining, you know, uh, my own identity as I navigate the relationships that I was in, there's not, I, I'm not even a real person, so to speak. I'm just a collection of someone who can short term manage or support somebody and getting their needs met through me. Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from all over the world to hear their personal journeys of self-discovery through the lenses of love, sex, and relationships. Our mission is to show people that they're not alone and to inspire them to embrace their true selves so that together we can open minds and live authentically without shame. We believe everyone's story is powerful and beautiful, yet it's important to remember that everyone does life a little bit differently and that the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we aren't doctors. Please consult a medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy! Welcome to episode 326. We're Finn and Emma, and today we bring back Courtney on the podcast. He last talked to us back in episode 165, almost three years ago, and we are so excited to talk to him today. He is the director and founder of the 501c3 nonprofit, Something Positive for Positive People, and he talks today about his experience with non-monogamy and his relationships, weaving in so much about his own life experiences and what he's learned. It's an amazing, amazing conversation. It's a great conversation, and it's it's awesome to have Courtney back and hear how his sort of not necessarily his views on non-monogamy, but how he's approaching it for himself have changed and sort of what he's getting out of it, what he's looking for is is definitely different than when we talked to him three years ago. And so it's great to have him back. And we're super excited to help promote his upcoming Herpes Stigma Conference on May 23rd of 2024. We highly, highly recommend you head over and grab a ticket. They are discounted early bird tickets until the end of February. So you got a couple more weeks. Um, no kickbacks for this for us. This is purely to help promote that. And we're super excited to do it. It's going to be an amazing conference. And you're actually going to hear a couple more guests on our show over the next few weeks who are presenters at the conference. So we'll have Nikita coming on and we're bringing Dr. Dacker back. So super excited Yay. for those and super excited for this conference. I'm not going to, or we're not going to talk about it much more because Courtney actually gives a really great overview of what something positive for positive people is at the beginning of this conversation. It is powerful work. So please have a listen, check it out and go support the conference. Yes. You can find links to everything Finn mentioned and Courtney talks about in the show notes uh, on our website or in your podcast player. For anyone who's a premium subscriber, we're going to jump right into the interview now. And for anyone else, we're going to go through our announcements. First up, if you're not familiar with the premium subscription, it's a way to skip these announcements up front, jump right into the interview. Uh, you can sign up on our homepage at normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Scroll down on the homepage and you can sign up right there. 
Next up, we have our February virtual meet and greet coming up on the 17th. That's February 17th. And we are super excited about that. We do these every month, as you probably have heard us talk about. This is a great way, a low-pressure way to meet other people in the community, the, the, the greater non-monogamy community. Maybe you're brand new or maybe you've been doing it forever and ever. It's a great way to meet people, low-pressure, fun way to spend a couple hours. We ask questions, send you into a breakout room. You talk about them. We scramble the rooms, ask new questions, and you laugh and have a great time. And then you go to bed happy <laughs> and you wake up happy the next day. Did you sell it? I think so. <laughs> I think so. So check out. You can find out more information on our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Click on the events tab or right there at the top, there's a big banner. I think it's purple right now. And you can find out how to sign up there. It varies in color depending on what we feel like, right? <laughs> or what I remember. I've actually not changed it. I believe it's purple. <laughs> It's banner on the homepage. It's right there. Next up, while you're over there on our website, go check out our community. We have almost 300 people in our online community supporting each other every single day. It's a fantastic way to make friends and really get to know like-minded people. We also do monthly Q&As and we do monthly men's group and women's group calls. We also just had an in-person community retreat back in January. It was absolutely incredible. And we'll have another one one later this year. So we really encourage you to go check out, check it out, and we'll hopefully see you there. Yeah. For more information, as Emma said, on how to join the community, head over to the community tab. It's just a couple of bucks a month and you get to hang out with 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 me, with Emma and, and our 300 friends who are in there supporting each other <laughs> every day. And we'd, we'd Yeah. Are we love- a big enough selling point? Hope so. We'd, we'd love to have you join us. Next up is our favorite way to get tested for STIs. We tell you about this every week, and that is because we love this service. Emma and I have been using it for years. It's super fast. It's super easy. And when you use the links on our website, you save $10, which brings the cost of a 10-panel test down to only $129 which is a freaking deal, and it helps support the show financially. And so we are super grateful for that. Again, STD check is a service Emma and I use and we love. Otherwise, we would not tell you about it. And based on the number of you using it, we think you also love it. So get out there, get yourself tested and be awesome sexual health ambassadors. We are super grateful to all of you for doing that. Again, links to that are on the resources tab of our website or in your podcast player show notes. And finally, a quick reminder to reach out to us, send us a voicemail, send us an email. We would love to hear from you. And we would love to have you guest on, to be a guest on the show if you would like to do that or to send us a question. We would love to hear from you. And with that, I think we're ready to go talk to Courtney. Welcome back to the podcast, Courtney. We're really excited to talk to you today. And we last talked to you on the podcast about two years ago. So I'm assuming lots has changed and uh, life has been life and we're excited to get all the updates. So thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. And uh, life lifing is probably the most accurate description of what's been going on since we last talked in 2021. Just Professionally, personally, relationship-wise, there's been a lot of evolution and just depth and expansion simultaneously, which, you know, these are two very contradictory things, surface level, but very much that that's real. That's the reality of it. For sure. And I know we talked briefly, like you've moved 
back and forth across the country a few times, as as have we. So we, <laughs> I think we've been like we've been alternating positions on on different coasts. So it's always <laughs> always moving and and shaking it up. And I know uh, your work, you know, something positive for positive people has been growing and expanding. And that was a lot of the move. And so I was just excited to have you back and to dig into it all. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. And speaking of that move, uh, it was 2021 in October when I got approved to receive a $10,000 grant for the nonprofit to do exactly what I had already been doing, which was interviewing people who've had experience with STIs, but in the state of Oregon. So that's what took me out to Oregon um, in October 2021. I stayed out there, fulfilled the grant requirements, and ended up stumbling into uh, the health education field, uh, working at a local university, uh, teaching medical students to uh, give genital exams, as well as uh, teaching them how to take a history on a patient. Uh, so those jobs have kept me in Oregon a little bit longer as well. And it's made it really a pleasurable and pleasant experience out there the entire time, uh, being able to support myself through that work and also have the experience that came with doing that work or that comes with doing that work and then being able to integrate that into my work at something positive for positive people. Yeah. It's amazing. And I know we, you know, our typical trajectory is we have people share their stories and you've, you've done this before. This isn't our first time talking, but I think maybe right up front here is a great place to set the framework for your work. For anybody who's not familiar, what is something positive for positive people? What was the inspiration behind it? And where, what is it like morphed into today? And then we'll get into your personal, like what, what's been going on for Courtney's personal life. It is so interesting answering that question now compared to having to figure it out over the last six, seven years. Um, But for the last seven years, I've been doing a thing under the name of something positive for positive people. In 2017, it began as me just interviewing people with herpes about their experiences from the point of receiving the diagnosis to the point of disclosure and really hearing from them about what it means to navigate herpes stigma. And that started because I found that there were people who, uh, after their herpes diagnosis, wanted to end their lives. And so I got into some support groups and asked if there were people who were willing to share their experiences just to give these people who might be struggling with their mental health a place where they can just learn how to go forward through this diagnosis and hear from other people who've made it past that point of the negative thoughts, the depression, the anxiety, and give them like practical things that other people have done to navigate those challenges through their herpes diagnosis. So that was what it was in 2017. And over those interviews, over those first two years, um, what I've learned is that there's a very strong interconnectedness between sexual health and mental health. And when I started to see that, I thought, hmm, maybe it would be a good idea to pay for people to get therapy if they're struggling with stigma, if they're struggling with their mental health. And so I started um, the process of becoming a 501c3 nonprofit, which, yay, we got approved in 2019. 
And that was what we were doing. We were raising money to pay for people to get therapy, as well as continue our advocacy efforts for just offering support to people with herpes. And the more of these interviews that I've done now uh, going into 2024, what I've also learned is that sex education and STD prevention really can use a little bit of an adjustment to incorporate a lot of the lived experiences that people have had after an SCI diagnosis. And I advocate to integrate those communication skills and lessons from the people that I've interviewed into sex education and STD prevention to support those efforts through the Something Positive for Positive People intervention program. I just call it STI minimization, minimize being the emphasis rather than prevent, uh, just because of the language. To prevent means to keep from happening. I, myself, being someone who has herpes, can never prevent someone from getting herpes unless I stop having sex. Not going to happen. But what I can do is minimize the risk by learning what those factors are, communicating with partners about what the risks are, and giving them the communication that I wish that I would have gotten prior to my diagnosis so that I could have and others can navigate the potentiality of receiving this herpes diagnosis um, in a different way than what we have or what future people will just because they have access to this information. So that is essentially the shortest version of the journey that I can give you. But at this point, what I can say is that Something Positive for Positive People is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that teaches people to talk about sexual health. Between the uh, trainings that we offer to sexual health service organizations and providers, uh, we essentially teach them to provide stigma-free care. And by incorporating the experiences of people who've dealt with uh, an STI, we train the healthcare professionals on what it means to be stigma-free. And I, I can talk more about that as necessary, but that's generally the overview. And we continue to offer various forms of support for people with herpes, just teaching them how to disclose or initiate the conversation. Um, and for people's partners or potential partners, let's say someone's disclosed to um, and they have questions that, you know, they're confused about. The Internet is a confusing place when it comes to herpes. So sometimes people who have been disclosed to might reach out and I'll just kind of talk them through what some of the realities are when it comes to this diagnosis or dating someone who is living with herpes. Yeah, it's amazing. And it's I think it's just such powerful work because that I, I love that you call that minimization. And and I think there is there is a lot in my in my opinion tied but the, the tie between the stigma and the right the ability to have those conversations right you can as the person who has been diagnosed you can know everything there is to know about it but if there's such a stigma that you're afraid to even bring it up because well if i tell this person they're going to not want to go on a date with me or they're not going to want to make out with me or hook up with me or whatever there's a whole lot of reasons not to disclose something and and so that stigma is just so powerful and i i'm just I don't know we've we've loved your work since the day we learned about it, and I'm glad to, glad to have you back and glad to keep keep partnering together. So, yeah, um, I think the the last thing before we jump into your your personal journey updates would be 
you've got a conference coming up yes. and, and we want to make sure we talk about that right up front because it's not just you. You've got Dr. Dacker, who's been on the show before. You've got uh, Nikita, who's who's either we've either interviewed her and published it or it's about to come out. So we're, we're teaming up with the whole crew to promote this conference because this is incredible work. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. So the Something Positive for Positive People conference is a conference on herpes stigma. Um, we've done surveys in the past, but this one is different because we have uh, IRB approval, which is the International Review Board um, from Utah Valley University. So Megan is going to be the keynote speaker and she's going to present uh, a data analysis of the survey data that came in. So we asked, we, we've gotten a little bit more than 1,200 responses so far from people with herpes who have shared their experiences with outbreaks, with physical symptoms, with treatments, with alternative treatments, uh, using antivirals or not using antivirals, with um, disclosure, dating, experiences with healthcare providers, their mental health, uh, everything across the board that people over the years have expressed wanting people who don't have herpes to know about people with herpes and that experience, as well as things that they wish that they knew or things that they're curious about real time because we don't have good information about herpes. So my intention with this conference is to bring together, you know, the people who can use that information, which would be healthcare providers, anyone who works in the field of sexual health, if you have clients or patients who might talk to you about sexual health, it's really good for those organizations and those workers to be on this conference, which is virtual, and it's May 23rd, 2024, which is the exact five-year anniversary of Something Positive for Positive People as a nonprofit. So that was very thought out. It starts at 10 a.m. Central Time, ends at 4 p.m. Central Time, and it's all virtual. Uh, we have four presenters. You mentioned Dr. Dacker. She's going to cover the uh, intersection of stigma in the healthcare setting and uh, what that looks like. And then we have Nikita, who is a sex therapist and psychotherapist, who's going to talk about the intersection of sexual health and mental health. So we have something for anyone who works in the mental health field. Uh, I will tie those two things together and speak to what the proposed intervention program is that I've vaguely talked about, because I have to be vague about it, because unfortunately, someone stole an idea in the past and remove me from any credit of it. So I'm announcing this at the conference yeah, <laughs> that people totally about to before. I'll present that and then segue into the data analysis of what comes in, uh, what's been coming in over the last uh, what, October, November, December, January, almost four months of uh, responses that we've been getting from people with herpes about their experiences. And yeah, this is going to be something that is useful for people in the field of sexual health service to be able to offer stigma-free care to their patients and clients and to be able to expand that. And for people who do have herpes uh, who might be curious about this, I'm not going to say it's not for them, but it's more for the healthcare providers, people who just, you know, are curious, can, you're welcome to join. Uh, my intention is to also create uh, 
something that people can use to support them in their sexual health discussions, as well as looking at some statistics. The uh, most interesting statistics to me that are coming in are going to be the number of people who have went on to have sex with someone uh, after their diagnosis uh, who has not tested positive for herpes. So, you know, the stigma says all these things about people being what they are after getting herpes. And yet, you know, we see that stigma makes people who are newly diagnosed think that they're not going to have a sex life. Whereas these surveys and these responses coming in are proving otherwise. So people are able to be sexually active after their diagnosis. And that's one of the things that uh, I think is going to be most helpful to people is to be able to see, wow, this many people have a partner who may not have herpes, who's consented to sex with someone who does have herpes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Well, as always, Courtney, we're so, so excited about your work and happy to get it out there. And we're excited to send people to the conference. And just a reminder for anyone listening, links to sign up will be in the show notes. Yeah. Thank you. And there's an early bird discount until the end of February. And so cash in on that. Yeah. Go sign up now. Is it through through February? Yeah. Through February, it'll be yeah. discounted. But after that, y'all got to pay regular price. <laughs> there you go. Well, and it's really not that bad. What is 75 bucks for the conference? So highly encourage people to check it out. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Courtney, for all of that over high level overview and just and all of the work you're doing. We hope to send a lot of people your way. Yeah, thank and you. yeah, we would love to transition into a little bit of more of your personal story. And I'm sure your work kind of interweaves in all of this too. So feel free to touch on that for sure. But maybe a good place to start would be just if anyone hasn't listened to your previous episode, just a high level overview of what kind of your relationship trajectory has been and then we can dive in more to the last few years Ooh, all right so it, that's a big question yeah <laughs> i know i know in january of 2021 uh i was consistently seeing one person i mean it was coming out of covid uh or still being in covid but you know going into like the release of the vaccines and everything and I was spending most of my time with one person and I remember it was probably February or March, 2021, where I looked up and was like, oh crap, I'm only with this person. I hope that she doesn't forget that we're non-monogamous. I remember having that thought. And so things began to get a little bit shifty, I would say, because there was a I felt like I needed to make sure that this person I was with knew that. And it was like, oh, hey, you know, I'm, I want to see somebody like because we were still long distance. We see each other. It was a, a train ride. So it was about an hour and a half train ride to see one another. So uh, there was a need for more consistency. And I inquired on that. And she said she was OK with it. And that, you know seemed to hold true she had already had another partner who was in place but like the conversation going from you know me not seeing anyone to only seeing her and now wanting to see someone else and then her already having another partner uh that she was with that was a little bit of a rocky conflict, I would say. So navigating that was really difficult (laughs) during that time period. 
but it was, I, I don't like like in hindsight, looking at what the intention behind it was, it felt very like forced now in hindsight, it's very, I would say like more, it, it's normal for a person to kind of go in and out of, all right, you know, I'm with this person. I want to be with this person and then maybe having an urge to be with somebody else. But for me, looking at that intention at that point in time, it was like, oh, I don't want to look up and be in the situation that I was in with my previous partner where I informed her, hey, I would like to at some point be non-monogamous. I don't know what that looks like for us. And she was like, okay. And it was okay until it wasn't okay. Right. And so I didn't want to have that happen again. So for me, I took this action rather than just having a conversation and being like, hey, here's how I feel. Right. I decided to do this thing rather than communicate where the intention was coming from or what the desire was, whether that had been, hey, I want more intimacy or, hey, I want to like ensure that we're on the same page about non-monogamy. So I think I might have just needed a check-in rather than for me to like outsource uh, someone to come in and be like, hey, this is real. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, so what you're saying is you went the route of introduce somebody to reinforce the fact that it was an open relationship, even though maybe that wasn't exactly maybe what you needed. You were really trying to just make sure that that door was still quote unquote open if you wanted to walk through it. Yeah. I think I was scared of losing that Mm -hmm. and then having to be in that position again, where I have to talk to my partner and say, Hey, I want this relationship and I want for it to be an open relationship and then be left with the ultimatum of, well, that's not what we've been doing. Yeah. You either have an open relationship with somebody else or you be with me. Right. And yeah. The reality now in hindsight of that, you know, I don't think that that would have been the case because again, she was already seeing someone else too. It's just, yeah. I felt like maybe a triggered response from my past relationship and I acted mm-hmm. on that trigger rather than, you know, calming myself through it and then identifying what the real need was at that time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So almost like a test of the <laughs> a test of the emergency non-monogamy system. Does <laughs> does this thing still work? <laughs> That's good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it makes sense. I mean, we could all look back and be like, "Oh, well, I maybe should have done that in a little different way." But like y- in the moment, it sounds like you you were trying to handle it in the, in the best way you knew how. <laughs> yeah. At, at the time. Yeah. At the time. Yes. However, looking back, you're like, I really could have, I really could have maybe done that different. Yeah. And at that time, I had only been in therapy for about nine months. So we never really talked about relationships much at that point. So, uh, yeah, I, I didn't have a lot of communication skills or tools to support me through like that conflict is <laughs> that the conflict that I created. Uh, yeah. And had I had those tools, I think that I might've been able to handle that differently, not to say that anything different would have happened, but the intention behind it would have been identified sooner. And then it would have just been, it would have been handled better. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And was your, I'm curious, like, was your partner at the time also seeing other people? She was seeing one other person for sure. But I know that after I started seeing someone else, I think that there was kind of this competition thing happening to where it was like, oh, okay, we're doing this. I'm going to see other people. So that's where things I think began to become like 
it became a slippery slope after that. Yeah. Well, and I'm, I'm curious where that, where that took you to, but I, I think too, I just want to point out there's an interesting piece here that I find around the idea that if we aren't actively with multiple partners, that it's so easy to feel like that, whether it's an identity or just relationship agreement and style almost disappears. And you want to, it sounds like you were in that place of like, well, look, we're still open. I still want these opportunities, but maybe it's been months or years of being quote unquote monogamous by, by practice, but the, the mentality and the relationship style isn't, but you, it almost gets lost and you don't want it to get lost. You don't want it to just get absorbed. And so it's like that balance of how do we not assume monogamy when we're non-monogamous, but in monogamous acting relationships. It's really an interesting needle to thread in my opinion. Yeah, it, it, it is. And part of me, it, it's a trigger thing, right? I know that I've had a pattern of being in relationships where I've been changed or like I feel pressure to change and conform to the needs of my partner. And it's been through the ping ponging of back and forth being in different relationships that I've now seen. It's more important that I remain who I am and connected to my identity uh, than it is for me to adjust my needs for the needs of this person right now, because that's not consistency is one of my core values. And to do that all the time is not consistent and in direct conflict with one of my values, which is a core part of my identity. So if I identify as someone who's consistent, yet I'm consistently changing for people rather than maintaining, you know, uh, my own identity as I navigate the relationships that I was in, there's not, I'm not even a real person, so to speak. I'm just a collection of someone who can short-term manage or support somebody in getting their needs met through me. Yeah. You turn into a chameleon. Let me, let me be who you want me to be right now instead of being me. And, and it's, it's, it's a fine line to walk of, right. Let's, I think maybe this is a common one that comes up and I will say it's come up in our partnership in various times throughout our 15 years of doing this, where it's, Hey, right now is a crazy, whatever month for work. You know, you're not really seeing anybody consistently. It's not like I'm asking you to leave a partner, but you know, could we maybe just turn the turn inward a little bit and not maybe go on lots of dates or find a new partner, you know, for the next two months. And it's, you know, something like that to be like, okay, yeah. Can I adapt to that? You know, I don't have to change who I am, but maybe I'm changing what I'm doing for a little while. But that is a slippery slope to then like, well, maybe one more month, maybe two more months. And then pretty soon you're like, wait a minute, what are we, what did we just, what happened here? And so I think it is, you want to be supportive of your partners and what their needs are without losing who Courtney is and all of that. Yeah. And that's, that's happened enough times for me to recognize it enough to be able to go, okay, like I'm feeling this thing happen. And another thing that I've noticed is that it's happened with, mostly monogamous people, you know, like people will, I'll have that conversation very early. Hey, I'm not monogamous. And I've never really known what that looks like, like to be able to communicate more than I have sex with other people, right? Whether in a relationship or not. And I communicate with you about it. Like, I I don't want to hide anything. And I'll find myself meeting people who 
are like people are attracted to vulnerability. They're attracted to authenticity and just like transparency. And it's very difficult to get that in the vanilla dating world, I want to call it, like where there's the trajectory of, all right, we go on a date, we go on a few dates, we hook up, now we're in a relationship, we're going to get married, have kids, get a house, right? So the people who may meet me and have that as their norm, what I've experienced is that sometimes I'm the first person to have ever said like, all right, hey, I see other people, this is what that looks like. And they're like, okay, I could do that. I could try that. And I've ended up in relationships like that where people were okay with it until it became real. And I recognized that part of me adapting my behavior was, all right, I need to make sure that it's okay with this person. So I'm going to let them know that I'm going to see someone else and see how they respond. And it it was just like a lot of testing to see if this relationship was real or if they were actually okay with it. And what I found is that, you know, oftentimes if you have to ask that question, then it's probably not. And I've not just observed it and walked away. It's been, all right, I noticed this, you know, is, are you actually okay with this? Are you actually okay with me seeing this other partner and letting it be more of a conversation? And I think even if they're not okay with it, I think that the conversation makes all parties involved feel safer to be able to talk about what is creating the discomfort or the conflict or whatever friction that there might be coming up as a result of, you know, me having this fear that I'm going to be boxed into someone's boyfriend who's only their boyfriend and can only do things with them. And I'm going to start getting in trouble for things that people in monogamous relationships get in trouble for, like looking at the waitress too long. (laughs) So those have been, you know, some of the experiences that I've had. It's just the worst ones for me have been, you know, being in non-monogamous relationships or connections with people who might not actually be or non-monogamous. Yeah. Yeah, And that, that place then of, I, you know, you, you say, okay, technically this is okay by the rules that we've established, but I'm going to ask anyway. And then you ask and it's, it's hard. It's a big deal. And then it goes into that place. Then I'm guessing of, well, then maybe I shouldn't do it because it's going to be hard. And then it's easy to start giving up yourself. And then you're, you find yourself back on that maybe monogamous relationship escalator that there's nothing wrong with if that's the ride you signed up for at the beginning, but you both signed up for a different ride and then wind up on this other one. And it's, and it's, it's a tricky, it's a tricky dance to do because you don't want to hurt people. And, you know, they think just like, and there's nothing wrong with being like, oh yeah, I could totally do that until you're like, oh shit, you actually want to go out on a date. Like, I didn't think that was a real thing. We were and it's, and then it's a whole new game. Yeah. And then even like talking through those details, because what non-monogamy, non-monogamy is this big sphere of possible mm-hmm. things, right? That's just not monogamous, right? And that's what it's been in my brain. It's like, okay, not monogamous. So what monogamous people do, we're not doing, right? When it comes to the relationship thing. But someone in that sphere of non-monogamy could also be like, wait, what do you mean you're going on a date with that girl? Like I said, you could have sex with her, but you're going on a date with her or the other way around, right? And where some components of 
like the romance and the sexuality are different than what intimacy is. So it's not exclusively about non-monogamy in terms of what you do with your genitals and someone else's genitals, but also non-monogamy in terms of what you are giving emotionally. Yep. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. Which I think is a great lead into a question. I think, um, and it's the sort of the question I think that that should get asked a lot at the start of a relationship, but throwing it to you is like, you say you're not monogamous. What, what is your sort of ideal version of what that would look like in practice? That's changed so often because I recognize that probably up until September of this year, it just looked like me being able to do whatever I wanted to do. And like just full transparency, that's what that means. Like I'm not checking in. I don't have to check in with anybody, but I I will just out of respect, like, hey, all right, I'm hooking up with this person. Here's what our boundaries are. We wear barriers or if we choose not to, um, we get tested before, no other, you know, new partners in between that. And that's how I roll. Like those were essentially what the boundaries have been up until I would say September. And I had a very interesting experience of oh, few, um, but the main one that I'll focus on is having gone to uh, Sex Down South. It's a conference that is put on on an annual basis. And at this conference, this is probably my first like sex conference uh, that centered uh, Black people as well to see like myself reflected in this setting where it was more like kink and BDSM. There were different workshops. And in these settings, there was a particular workshop that I went to and the title of it, the, the facilitator, her name's Mango Love, Mango uh, L-U-V. I can't remember if there was an underscore in between or not, but on Instagram, her workshop was called uh, Worshiping a Black Man's Body. And in this workshop, there were like seven black men and it was everybody else was just it was women. And she made us do this thing where we had to stand up in the middle of the room and everyone like there were roses on the table. So everyone had to get up, walk up, give us a rose, give us a compliment, give us a hug. We sat back down. She asked us how it was. And every all of us, all seven of us were like fucking weird. It was very uncomfortable. And we talked through that. And so the turning point for me in probably life and relationships, not the, there's always going to be more, but was seeing myself in these other six black men who were there, who also expressed discomfort with receiving and for us to receive without having to give or not feeling taken from. And I think leaving that experience, I was constantly having like this thought of why is it so uncomfortable for me to receive? And that was just without me even asking for anything, which led to what do I really want? What do I want? What am I asking for? Is it okay for me to ask for things? And that workshop being there taught me it's okay to receive. It's okay to get what you want. It's okay to ask for what you want. It's okay to say no to what you don't want. And leaving that space I think I realized that what I wanted was more intimacy, more so than just sex, which to me, the non-monogamy was often about sex. It wasn't about intimacy, where, you know, the more partners that I've had or the more sexual experiences that I had still left me with wanting something to hold on to because I became really comfortable at saying, hey, this is all I want. This is all I want. 
But in therapy, we came up with this. We were like, I ask for sex or I want intimacy, but I'll settle for sex. That was what we came up with. And it's like, if I'm extending these invitations for connectedness and vulnerability and people are like, oh, I don't really want that. Can we just have sex? I'm like, all right. And I had to learn, like, just because somebody fuck you don't mean they like you. That is a thing <laughs> that I've learned. <laughs> and so it made me want more of those intimate connections. And I, I started to look at the relationships that I had. And I, I, I say this a lot, like, I am embarrassed at how many people that I was hooking up with at one point in time, not because of how many people it was, but how I can't put a label to what the relationship was. And I was having a conversation with somebody who was like, oh my God, like I'm talking to two people and it's just so overwhelming. And I looked across the table, my eyes got big. She's like, wait, how many people are you talking to? I'm like, define talking to. She's like, how many people are you with? I'm like, define sex. And I was sitting there at the table and I was just like, I need to make a list. I like made a list and I wrote down what the relationships were. And I was like, wow, none of these or there were a few, um, only, you know, a handful of these are like the kinds of relationship or have the potential to be the kind of relationship that I want. And so I, I stopped pursuing new people and I started to just like, look at who's in front of me, who's here right now in an attempt to go deeper into the relationships that already existed for me. And I've, it, it's been, interesting because like in setting that intention a lot of people just kind of fell to the wayside some people got into relationships some people just stopped communicating uh some people had other things going on some people kind of came out of nowhere and like wanted to reconnect but i was able to say no because my intention for you know having that intimate relationship that had you know, some type of longevity to it uh, became more of a priority. And through that process, I would say I found, you know, that. And I've also had a couple of other uh, partners there who fit the mold for being able to give me that intimacy uh, that I have liked. But now where I'm at is I am mostly, I'm all in invested in one relationship. Not that I'm no longer non-monogamous, but the relationship that I have right now, the relationship that I'm in, this is with someone who, you know, who matches that desired outcome of, you know, having everything. Like I used to just be like, I want to do whatever I want to do. Right. But realistically, there's boundaries that need to be set. And I just so happened to, during my process of being intentional and setting intentions, find someone who aligns with, agrees with, and wants to pursue, you know, the kind of life together that I've desired. So I think I might have answered your question and maybe a couple of others. <laughs> and I want to I want to make sure to like touch on everything. So I, I know that I that was a lot and it was like a full circle moment with plugs and and you're good. You're good. That's part of the, the part of the beauty. <laughs> no, it is. It's amazing. And first of all, the plug for Sex Down South and the work that Marla Renee Stewart does is incredible. And she's been on the show a few times. So anybody listening who's looking for an amazing conference, 
check that out for sure. And it sounds like we should rebrand it to Intimacy Down South because that's what you took away from it. But <laughs> Yeah, um, I, I, I interviewed Marla on uh, Something Positive for Positive People, which, oh, by the way, is a podcast <laughs> as well. <laughs> but uh, I interviewed her and I, I shared that with her. It's like, hey, you know, this was a very, I, I don't think that I would be able to have been in the relationship that I'm in now had it not been for the experiences that I had at that conference. You know, not just being in the, I think people hear sex and they think, you know, make babies, intercourse, penis and vagina. But when I hear sex, I think sexuality. I think about aspects of identity. I think about all of the various um, expressions of oneself in that kind of setting. And for me, I just so happen to walk away from it like, wow, it's okay for me to ask for what I need. It's okay for me to receive. And I desire intimacy. And I am okay with saying hey, this is what I want. And if you're not someone who wants to, if, if we can't give each other what we want, then we need to be able to walk away from each other. And I have to be able to say no. Like I, I rejected somebody. I felt so bad in the moment, like rejecting someone at the conference, but it was like, whoa, this like being on the other side of rejecting, because I experience rejection often for, you know, hey, I have herpes. All right. Oh, well, you know, I'm not okay with that or whatever that may look like. Right. And rejecting someone coming from my side, it feels so much like more intense for me because I know how much goes into being able to ask for what you want. But I've not had much experience of being the person asked to say no. So empathizing with the person who makes the ask. I'm like, I'm so sorry. Like how, how else can I be sexual with you without having sex with you for whatever the reason might be that I don't want to have sex with you. And so the, the practice of rejecting and being able to say, no, this, these are just things that I've been able to walk away with just from going to this conference one time. Yeah. It's huge. It's huge. And thank you for sharing all of that. Thank you. You wrapped it up and I was, my question was going to be like, what is your relationship status now? And like, you already answered that. And so. <laughs> and, and this is where I was like, you know, there's some stuff that I haven't really like talked about or processed like out loud um, because I kind of caught myself in one of those moments of, all right, like making sure that we know that this is a non-monogamous relationship, but not in that way. So I've like subtly kind of communicated little things like, I really enjoy this relationship. I am spending the most time with you. And I was like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, I'm there's something that I'm saying without saying it. And this led to a conversation between us. And I, I love that uh, my girlfriend is super like communicative, very good at like speaking Courtney. Not a lot of people speak Courtney. I'm very all over the place outside of like business wise, it's chaotic. I thrive in that. But when it comes to like not business, communicating about my life and how I'm feeling and things like that, I speak a very specific language. Let's just say that. (laughs) (laughs) Being able to like say those things and be like, hey, you know, I'm recognizing that I've done this, 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 and this, and it's seeming like a pattern. Like, here's what I think I'm trying to say. Like, I want to not do the things that I've done in the past, like have to, out of a triggered response, reinforce that you and I are only sleeping with each other right now. But at some point, you know, whether it be an old partner resurfacing or, you know, when we decide like, all right, hey, this is stable. Like, 
we're going to open doors for new relationships. Like I love that I've had the experiences before leading up to this to where I could just be present in the relationship, you know, and be able to talk through those things if, you know, and when they come up, because we will talk about things. Like if I got a text message, like one of the things that I try to do is as someone who values transparency, try to communicate, oh, hey, this person reached out. Here's how I handled it. Right. Um, If it's someone that I am interested in or not interested in, like I'll share the genuine sentiments of that because I'm not always gotten it right. And in fact, like I've um, being able to manage conflict is a very big tale of what will uh, what a healthy relationship will be or look like. And we've had a couple of conflicts already. And in those conflicts, it's been handled, I would say, like more maturely rather than me, because I'm a very historically avoidant person. And it'll be like, oh, this is over. I'm out. Peace out. I'm gone. Like, all right, there's no recovering from this. And I've really had to struggle with when you know that you do a thing in an extreme, the best way to like recalibrate is to do the other thing in extreme. So like be really close. And and that just made me like a, uh, a fake anxious, <laughs> if you will. So trying to be really close or be like, Hey, I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. Like I've had these extremes throughout my relationship history. And again, just like having the experiences to allow for me to recalibrate. It's like, okay, um, I recognize that I am in this alarmed and triggered state. I want to do these things. So I allow myself to like decompress more and like write down, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm doing. And like have that out and then maybe talk to somebody and then be able to come back from a less triggered place and be able to like facilitate a healthy conversation about whatever that conflict is. And I think that this is something that I've learned from having several relationships because conflict looks so different between so many different people and the way that people communicate or the way that they uh, navigate the conflict it's it's so many different ways. Some people do need space. Some people do need closeness. And without the balances of, okay, I need space and you need space. So what does giving each other space look like without looking like we've given up? Or if I need space and you need closeness, what does it look like for me not to feel pushed away by or feel smothered by you or for you to feel rejected by me, right? Or if you know any of these things were to express themselves in a different way, there are a number of different ways to manage it. And all of them really just revolve around knowing where you stand and being able to be present with yourself and know, okay, I'm triggered right now. Like, what do I need to calm this down so that we can actually converse and get to the root of what's going on and decide how we're going to move forward with this. And so yeah, I've learned how to like just communicate that and also learn how to listen because so often like people will tell you things and when you're in that state, it just goes out the window, right? Like in moments of conflict, I need, I need space. I just need some time to think about things and process. And 
someone in a triggered state who hears that might hear, oh my God, this is over. I need to get out of here. I need to just leave, count my losses, whatever. But someone healthy will hear that and go, okay, you know, I know when you're upset, you need space. So when you're ready, like, let's reconnect, talk about it. Right. So there have been a lot of conflict management relationship skills that I've learned over the course of my non-monogamy journey that now, even in my um, seemingly monogamous for now relationship uh, have really like helped me identify like, oh, you know, this is the kind of relationship that I want. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and the ability to come with a nuanced conversation, right? From the 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 world of well, non monogamy means I just do whatever, whenever, with whoever, however, versus yeah, maybe that's still available, but the conversation that you have now is different to get there, right? It's hey, this person reached out, I'm interested in them. What would this look like? What does this mean for our partnership? What would you need to feel good? What do I need to feel good? What do they need to feel good? And so it's a very different set of conversations and communication skills than just, I said, we're open and now I'm going to be open and go do it. And not that one or the other is right or wrong, but they're very different paths of doing something. Yeah. And I think it's just like conscious of it or unconscious of it. And being unconscious of it makes for the potentiality of more harm being caused than necessary. Uh, I look at it like it's the freedom of choice. And I don't think that I've ever been in a relationship before where I was just fully accepted as you know myself because I was non-monogamous coming into this relationship. And rather than having to like turn it on, it's more like the opposite thing has happened where I'm like turning it off because at the time I was like, recalibrating my relationships because I had all these relationships that I didn't have that didn't have like relationship potential. And, you know, I might call these people partner, but do they call me partner or would they say that I'm a friend with benefits or some other name, a play partner, or even that much? Am I just a friend? Right. Uh, so having to, you know, really sit with that and think about that, you know, it's been, okay, well, these aren't what my priorities are at this point in time. Like my priority is going to be these relationships where there is that reciprocity of intimacy and emotional connection and people who are looking out for each other and like care about, you know, what I got going on and I care about what they got going on. And some of that intimacy has, I'm heterosexual, but that intimacy does not need, it doesn't imply like sexual, right? Um, and so some of my friends have gotten more of that intimate part of me. Like I'm connecting more with my friends. And as a dude, like saying I love you to your male friends is very like, it's weird generally. But I talk to my close friends more and I found that I feel very fulfilled in my platonic relationships that I have, as well as the intimate or the uh, sexual relationship that I have right now. Um, but all of that to just say like this non-monogamy thing is not exclusively about the intercourse component. Yep. Like it's totally. helped me exercise my emotional availability, my emotional awareness and intelligence in my non-sexual relationships, in my work relationships, in my friendships with my family. Right. So it's been a very healthy practice to me for presence and coming from a place of having the freedom of choice. 
I think that that puts me in like a, a very magnetic and healthy energy space to where my intentions are in fact pure. So if I do connect with someone, I can be more intentional about it and communicative about what the intention is rather than being, um, like having to deviously go about getting my needs met or feeling like there's even a need for that. So yeah, this is, this has been, it's been a ride. It's, it's definitely been a ride and it's interesting to see full circle. Like in 2021, it was, I need to prove that we're not monogamous. And here I am in 20, almost 2024, you know, just okay with only being sexually active with one person at this point in time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I love too, Courtney, that you you've brought up a few times that that non monogamy and just intimacy and connection are not exclusively tied to sex or PIV sex, right? And that that is, you know, I think a thing that gets overlooked a lot and and undervalued is the the ability to create deep connective we call them partnerships, relationships with people that, you know, maybe your entire thing is once a month you go and watch a movie with somebody and then sit and talk about it for six hours over a meal because there's nobody else in your life who likes to analyze a movie in that way. But that is your connection to that person. And and what's so messed up or what can be messed up is if I'm doing that, right, I'm a cis hetero guy. If I'm doing that with another guy, no big deal. But if the world sees me doing that, well, actually, it might be a big deal, right? You might get, you know, oh, you, you, you're in a relationship, you're gay, and now you're going to get thrown, I want to say thrown under that bus that it's a negative thing to be gay, but you might get mislabeled. Or if you're like, well, no, this person's a different gender than me. Oh, well, then it's, then you're cheating. And it's like, you can't win, right? You cannot just develop a connection with somebody and have it be that thing. Well, it just gets to stereo- stereotypes yeah. and how, I mean, people of any gender, any sexual orientation, like you're all, we're all labeled with stereotypes often. And we're it's supposed hard. to do it a certain way. Yeah. And it's when you're, when you're shifting that, um, shifting that narrative, it can be difficult. And I've been in relationships where like people will be jealous of the time that I spend playing video games, not understanding that that's time with my real friends, right? Like mm-hmm. I, we got a group chat of, four to six of my friends who when time allows we make time to go and we shoot little kids on the end i shouldn't say that that way we (laughs) play call of duty (laughs) (laughs) and we catch up like we talk this is how we stay connected but i've had relationships where people have felt threatened by that and it's like these are healthy relationships with other men and the partners that i've had have felt jealous or missed like they were missing out or uh just like something's being taken from them by me being in the house, putting on headphones, being in a corner of the room and playing video games. And I not having that pressure has like really just freed me up. And I feel that sense of freedom in the relationship that I'm in now. And I see like the effects of it in terms of my work and the clarity there is. And like, I like the person that I'm seeing myself be in this kind of relationship and that threshold or the expansiveness for like what's to come, you know, even in the future of me being in this space. That is something I'm very excited for. Like I I love who I'm with and I can honestly say too that like being in the presence of this person has also made me just see a version of myself. I'm like, whoa, 
I don't know this dude, but like this is I like what he's doing right now. Like, let's let's I, I want to get along with this person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and what you touched on too is just like the I think unfortunately our uh, the narrative in our culture is that one person fulfills everything for you. So if you're playing video games with some friends, like it, the person, one of your partners that might feel threatened by that, it's likely because of something they were taught, right? Like something that they were observed in, in our world. And like, that it's not about you actually spending time with friends. It's about, it's bigger than that. And unfortunately, like that's, we have to keep working to change that narrative to us spending time with others. One person, like that's healthy. That's healthy in in those dynamics. Well, yeah, that it's not against, right? Right. I think the narrative is, well, if you're playing video games with those people, I became less valuable because you can go and get that need met there. And now you don't need me, right? And you're like, first of all, you don't even want to play video games. <laughs> you, you're you holding the controller backwards. So that's a good start. <laughs> and, and like, it's and not only that, but like, it is good for us to go and have experiences so we can come back and talk to our partners and be like, I was doing this, this, and this. Oh, that's amazing. I did this, this, and this. Otherwise, you're just sitting around going, well, we've spent 24 hours together today. What do you have to talk about? Well, actually nothing because you were there for all of it. Well, but I think what's like, what's so hard is that, and that's something, you know, that like I personally struggled to, yeah, we're taught, we're taught that that's what, you know, just that it's, that's what love is right. That can be scary when that's not the case. And to lean into those fears and undo those fears is the work, right? Yes. So, um, thank you, Courtney, for, for everything that you've shared today. Um, I know we could talk to you for hours and hours and hours. <laughs> I just looked up and was like, it's already been about an hour. Right. I feel like I talk so much. <laughs> well, that's, that's good because it's a podcast. So it's boring <laughs> if we just sit here and look at each other. <laughs> I will say I love being on other people's podcasts. As much as I love hosting a podcast and doing the interviewing, like it's so much pressure off of me to facilitate a conversation or like, cause I interview a lot of people who've never been on podcasts before, as I'm sure you have as well, but like people are nervous or shy and you know, they might give one word answers and you got to kind of like have mm-hmm. the flow of it. So it's nice to not have to do that. You can ask me, so Courtney, how was your day? Oh my God. I've been waiting on somebody to ask me this. <laughs> Go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I would love to to pick it one more topic is around, you were talking a little bit about attachment and I think it's, it's, you can tie it into attachment or any number of aspects of here's what I need in the relationship and here's what you need in the relationship. And you were, you kind of framed this earlier as, you know, maybe two people are both, uh, let's say anxiously attached. How do you not smother each other? or you're too avoidant, how do we not feel like we just faded away into nothing? Or you have the one anxious, one avoidant, and how do you not smother while they're not making you feel avoidant, right? Those, all of those balances. And I think in that there's this interesting, I don't know, thing that I have been thinking about over the last few months around, and and not that you can really quantify, like this is a level 50 challenge for me. But if you look at it and you can say, well, you know, on a scale of one to a hundred, you leaving the room in the middle of a fight, right? Saying, I need to take a break because this isn't going well. I need to step out and recollect myself. And there's maybe somebody in that argument who's of, who has an anxious attachment. And if you say that, 
it's really easy to get triggered and be like, you're just abandoning me and leaving me, right? And But you could look at this and say, well, I have a level like 95. I need to be out of this room to make sure that that I feel good. And they're saying, well, you can't because I need you to stay. And that's a level 95 for me, right? So now you're both like your need to leave and their need for you to stay are equal in challenge for the two of you. But you can't really see that challenge in the other person. You can't feel it. It's just mine's like mine's a thousand. I need to get out of here. And they're like, mine's a thousand. You need to stay. And those are just, I think it, it often gets picked like, well, the person who wants to leave needs to stay because it's too hard for the person who needs you. And there's often one person who gets painted into the role of, all right, I'll give mine up to make sure yours feels good. And I think that's sort of what you talked about earlier on is how much of yourself did you give up to make sure somebody else didn't feel discomfort? And I just I didn't know that it was an exact question. It's just sort of the, the the thought around tying all of those together in how do we find balance between what you need and what I need in this dynamic and that they may be opposed. Yeah. And that's just, it's really hard. So I have, uh, you made me think about this. So the, what things do you have? So I'll say this sometimes, like what we have is what we want because we wouldn't continue to have the thing if we didn't want the thing. Right. So in the relationship, dynamic with you and said person, what are staples in the relationship that bring you peace, that calm you down, that make you feel loved and supported and still cared for? So the anxious person may need hints of closeness from that per- other person, like them continuing to do things for them that they've done. Like they don't, they might feel abandoned if a person goes from, you know, always making sure that the person is fed, right? Like if I were, if I'm always like making sure that we're eating breakfast and lunch, right? And I'll pack your lunch for work, right? If I stop doing that, that's like a hint of abandonment. So to let you know that this relationship is still a relationship and I just need space, I'm going to continue to do those things for you. As someone who might be avoidant and like still wanting like the way i see it with my avoidance is i'm leaving i need to know that you don't want me to leave so a way for you to show me that would be just to touch me like give me touch to show me that you're still invested and i need to stay that's what plays that's what comes to mind for me immediately so if the avoidant person can continue to show the person who might be anxious that they're not leaving and that the anxious person can show the avoidant person like, hey, you know, I'm not going to smother you, but you don't need to leave. Here's how I'm going to demonstrate that. So maybe like mm-hmm. lighter, softer touch, uh, little things like maybe grooming or just in passing, just like a touch on the shoulder. And that's like a real experience for me. Um, that's worked for me. But you have to know that, you know, mm-hmm. going in that these are things that both of you need in the relationship in general. And that no matter what, like you'll be able to give that until the relationship is over. Because if it's over and I leave and you feel abandoned, if I, yeah, if I feel like I need to get up out of here and you feel abandoned by that because, you know, whatever the problem has been, then, you know, it's it, it's hard to come back from that. It's hard to bounce back from it. So those little bitty like teasers of 
intimacy, that we're still connected, that I'm still invested. We're going to talk about this or we're going to resolve it. We're going to work through it. That's something that has worked for me. Yeah. No, I love that. And I think, you know, we, we got into this on the attachment thread, but it's, I think it maps to just about anything where it's, I think what happens is, again, back to the attachment, right? The idea is, well, I just need to, I, you just can't leave. And it's like, well, that's, that's not a solution, right? If, if I'm feeling something or this isn't a good place to be because one or the other of us is going to get triggered, like I need to leave, right? We, I need to go for a walk. Maybe it needs to be a half hour, right? And so you could say, if one person's saying like, you can't leave and the other person's saying, I have to leave, it's this, okay, well, what's the middle ground, right? Is it, okay, well, if you need to leave, how about within 15 minutes you send a text message to give me a quick update and we we have a we have a system we have a almost like a fire drill like this is the process where do we meet in the middle to get our actual need met cuz the solution isn't you never leave or i just leave and you don't ever hear from me there has to be somewhere that we can meet mm-hmm. to to get the the core need met and i think you just touched on it beautifully on in your example as well and i just I just appreciate the conversation on that. Yeah. Thank y'all. Thanks for facilitating it. Letting me say some stuff out loud for the first time and <laughs> some things. And it, it feels good for it to have just come out so smoothly. I'm like, Oh, like none of this is like triggering any big emotions for me. It feels good to actually be able to speak from a place of knowing where I am now versus figuring it out in the past. Like, okay, well, where, like, where am I going? What am I doing? And it, did take for me to have some experiences to be able to get to this point and clearly and concisely communicate that, not just in my relationships, but also with something positive for positive people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the beauty and frustration of it all is you just start to figure out how to communicate it and it changes again. And then you've got to figure out how to communicate it again with the new changes. Cause that's, I think well, the nature- we, all, we all grow as people. And then as we interact with different people throughout our lives, they're growing, they're changing different people react differently to different situations. And it's a constant growth yeah. process. Yeah. 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 It is. Yeah. It is. I love it. Well, thank you, Courtney. Um, We've, we've, we've plugged the crap out of your work at the beginning of this, and we'll make sure to tell people in the outro how to find all of the stuff again. Thank but you. Go check out your podcast and sign up for um, the, the conference. conference. And maybe you're a mega millionaire donor. Like, do that shit, too. We could yeah. throw it. I would love it. So, uh, exciting announcement. Last year, we raised $30,800 in 2022. And this year, we got a week left. Uh, we've raised $60,100. So almost a double, yeah, we wow. almost double. Um, That's and it's amazing. been this constant growth. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. It's been this constant growth year over year of people just giving me money. And I, I don't think that people don't question it or anything, but it's like, all right, I'm paying for people to get therapy. I'm doing these advocacy efforts and I should be able to start paying myself consistently because I tried it this year and it didn't make sense to because I'd have to keep putting money back into the nonprofit. So 2024 is going to be the first year that I'm actually able to pay myself. So whatever that looks like start January 1st of 2024. Um, yeah, we'll, I'll be able to get myself like payments monthly on a percentage of what donations come in until I can like have a salary. So 
yeah, this this is exciting. The growth is continuing to happen. Um, I share that not as a flex, but because it's public knowledge, because it's a 501c3 nonprofit and all donations are tax deductible. So, yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Visit www.spfpp.org for more information. Yeah. I I just, I thought that you threw that in there at the end that that you've been doing this work for, for five plus years and the things that you, when you listed out all of the places you have reached, all of the people you're working with, all of the, the, just the reach you have, and you're doing that without getting paid, without paying yourself. And I think that is just something that people maybe miss is you're not sitting on a yacht somewhere, just sipping champagne. (laughs) Like, we we we've seen the work. We've met you for dinner. We know it's a it's a slog and it's hard work. And so yeah, if people have some some spare funds that they want to throw at it, like you're not even you're not even paying yourself. Yeah, and it's the end of the year, so I know some of y'all need tax deductions. So I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, and again, I, I appreciate y'all so much for being so supportive over the years and. Uh, for I'm glad we were able to reconnect. I'm glad I was able to connect you with Nikita um, and follow up with Evelyn. So yeah, please continue to be consistent. I love and respect consistency. Thank y'all so much. Likewise, Courtney. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Have a wonderful rest of your day and we'll see you next time. All right. And we're back. Thank you, Courtney, for everything that you shared. We loved hearing more about your story, your experiences, and it was such just such a great time talking to you. We also appreciate all of the amazing work that you do. And anyone listening, a reminder to go check out Courtney's work, including Something Positive for Positive People and the upcoming Herpes Sigma virtual conference happening in May. Links for all of that are in the show notes. Yeah, I just want to echo Emma's gratitude, Courtney. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for sharing your story with us and for all of the work you do. And uh, my apologies for the Instagram post the other day. Uh, I, I, I don't know <laughs> if you saw this. I posted a, a I teaser one and, and Courtney had sent over some photos to use. And then he's like, uh, I didn't know it was going to be that big. So yeah, <laughs> sorry about that. But it's a great quote. And yeah, this episode was full of amazing. It quotes. was a great so, photo too. <laughs> I think it's a great photo. And I love ice cream. So right. with that, uh, next week, ooh, up, first a quick, up, we, we have a virtual meet and greet. Yep. Quick reminder for our upcoming virtual meet and greet, February 17th. You can sign up at our website, normalizingnomenogamy.com. Next week, for real this time, we are bringing back another guest, Dedeker Winston from the Malta Amory podcast. She was back on, I should have looked this up, I think it's episode 104 was the first It's right around she, like late 90s, early 100s, yeah. Yeah, I think it was 104 that she, for, or maybe 98, somewhere in there. So it has been many, many episodes, four years and a pandemic's worth. It is an amazing conversation. So you don't need to have listened to the first one, but you have time now to go listen. It was amazing then. Uh, but this conversation next week is fantastic. So thank you in advance to Dedeker for this amazing conversation. And we will see you all next week for that. And I just looked it up. It was episode 104. Is that what you said? That's what I said. Look at that. Feel so. free to send us those emails telling us how amazing my memory is <laughs> and humble how humble I am. And how humble. Yeah, yeah, exactly. One of these days, I'm going to get a real hobby other than sitting around memorizing podcast episode numbers. Well, you have 326 to memorize. 
Yep. Someday we'll do a pop quiz. We'll yeah, do I was like, trivia. someday I'll do some flashcards. I'll quiz you. Yeah, we'll do trivia. People, it'll be people compete against me. And if you win, you get a free bottle of Uber Lube and a lifetime <laughs> supply of my one condoms. That would be a pretty sweet prize. We could get a year's supply out of them. We've done that before. Yeah, yeah. All right. Oh, that's a good idea. Hey, anybody who's still listening, (laughs) if you have questions about condoms, please send them to us because we are bringing Mila from One Condoms on in a couple of months to do an Ask Us Anything all about condoms. So we'll be answering all of your condom questions. So chances of anybody still listening are pretty slim. But we'll include but, it next next week. Next week. But if you hear this, we expect you to send us a question. <laughs> yeah, or at least an a, acknowledgement. <laughs> yes, yeah, send us a, send us an email or voicemail that says, "Hey, I heard you," and send us a question about condoms. And we're sorry for this. And with <laughs> that, we will see you next week. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening.